I've walked the Calvary road where Jesus trod. I saw him hanging there, the Son of God. With nail-scarred hands, I knelt and prayed, Jesus, hear my plea. Oh, praise the Lord, I've been to Calvary. Amen. Let's take our Bibles today and turn over to the book of John. John chapter 19. Oh, but it's, it got real hot there whenever I uh, said that I had nail-stained hands or nail-scarred hands there in that song. It got me nervous there all of a sudden. I read the words wrong. That's why we always tell everybody you've got to memorize the words. Because sometimes you can't read them. And the older I get, the more I'm having a hard time reading them without these glasses. And I was too far away for the distance and... Too close for the readers and, no, too far away for the readers and too far, too close for the whatever. So anyway, <clears throat> here we go, okay? All right, John chapter 19, beginning verse 38 today. Again, it's good to be back. I, I was thinking as the choir was singing and as the, uh, just the, 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 the congregation, you were singing and everything that was going on, the orchestra playing, wow, was that a blessing? And uh, I, I thought, boy, I've, you know, years ago, uh, you know, I've always loved Community Baptist Temple, obviously. I mean, the Lord blessed us to have the privilege of uh, starting off first service with the church here and just watching God do miracles in lives and lives and, and the ministry itself. And yet, you know, it seems like now there's even more to love about the ministry in so many ways. And I've always loved Community Baptist Temple, obviously, you know. Uh, it, it's a ministry that God was permitted me to be a part of through all these years, but Boy, now, boy, being away for a couple of weeks, going to a couple of different services and uh, being in other people's uh, uh, ministries, I come back and say, boy, there's so much more to love than I even remember. Uh, you know, we used to just, I stood up here and preached and I stood up here and sang and I did the special and now, boy, what a wonderful thing it is to see all of this going on and uh, what a tremendous, tremendous thing it is to watch God do a miracle and boy, I'm so glad I don't have to do all of that now. It's a blessing. It really is to just be able to watch God's people get involved and plug in and be used. And it's so encouraging and such a blessing. Well, let's go ahead and take our Bibles, as we said already. Look at the book of John, chapter 19, verse 38 today. 
19, verse 38. We're going to begin there. We're going to read through uh, verse 1 of chapter 20. So we're going to only read just a number of verses, a few verses, not too many. And then I want to um, address an issue. I I want to talk about something that I think affects all of us, obviously. And uh, we'll see uh, what we can learn and how we can grow from it today. Uh, Here we find in chapter 19, verse 38, the Bible says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths with the, the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher where was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark under the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Again, we have this wonderful account being relayed to us about Of course, Jesus Christ has already died on Calvary. Jesus Christ, now his body being taken up by these uh, men now and placed in this particular tomb, a borrowed tomb. Isn't it wonderful to think that the tomb was borrowed and only needed to remain borrowed because they were only using it for a short time. Jesus wouldn't be there forever. He'd only be there for a couple of three days and three nights and that would be it. And there he would return it back to its owner and they could use it forever, at least until their body resurrected. But we have here the the Lord Jesus Christ dying on Calvary. We know why he died. He died for you and he died for me. We know that he shed his precious blood. And we know that he allowed his body to be broken for you and I. You know, we're losing that in our world today, in our culture, in our society. So few people even know the story or can understand or relate to Jesus Christ any longer. It's becoming more of a problem all the time. How important is it that you and I share about Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection? How important is it to remind the world that Jesus Christ died for its sin? So Jesus is being buried now, and we find him now placed in this particular tomb. And the Bible goes on in verse 1 to say, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. I want to I propose a, a thought to you today. I, I want to share, uh, I think, I, I guess what I want to say is something's missing here. As I read through the passage, I note that something is missing. And, and I guess over the course of the next few minutes, I want to kind of relay uh, some things from the Word of God and try to help us find out what is missing. Because what is missing is very important to what we're trying to accomplish in the Christian life and ultimately in our future. I mean, we've got to realize that whatever's missing here, boy, I'll tell you what, it's pretty important. And so, over the next few minutes, I want to talk about what's missing. Now, we know that the writer of this particular passage is John. 
Now, there's been some debate through the years. There's been some people that uh, consider themselves Bible scholars that try to say that John was not the author, but I don't think that that's possible. I think the way it's written really does lend itself to the fact that John was indeed the writer of it. Of course, God being the author. Had to be careful there, huh? So we have John. And so I want to look at the life of John a little bit in order to find out what is missing here. He being the the pen that God used to put it on paper, I think maybe he can help us. And so let's take a few moments and we'll look at John's life for just a few moments. And then we're going to try to identify what is missing in this passage that will help each of us in the future. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, for the privilege that we have to gather in your house. And Lord, we look forward to hearing from you and your word. Lord, we know in the end that ultimately uh, it will not be a mere man that we need to meet with. It's you, the master. And so, Lord, we're asking your Holy Spirit now to fill me and then, Lord, to truly anoint every listening ear. And, Lord, may we hear from heaven. And, Lord, we understand that these are spiritual things and that the Word of God is spiritually understood. And so, Lord, we're asking for your illumination and your enlightening today. Father, use us and encourage us. And thank you, Lord, for... Sherry and I having the privilege to be back here again for safely carrying us to and from where we were. And Lord, we are so excited to be here. But Lord, in the long run, Lord, it will not be our presence that makes the difference. It'll be yours. Fill us now, Lord. We need you now, even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, if you would, in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, we note the call of John. Interesting character, this John. We know ultimately that he ends up on an isle of Patmos, and we know ultimately that he lives longer than probably all the disciples. But notice what it says here in the book of Matthew chapter 4. We see his call, and the Bible says in verse 21, it talks about the Lord. It says, and going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, the Lord Jesus, that is, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father. I don't know about you, but it does my heart good to see sons and fathers working together. It's interesting. It's a biblical concept, isn't it? It's biblical. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing wrong with a dad wanting his son to follow in his footsteps. Maybe he's a lawyer. Maybe he's a doctor. Maybe he's this or that. I can see why dad would want him to follow in his footsteps. It's a biblical thing. We've got a fisherman here. We've got somebody here that's out in a boat reaching out to fish, trying to make a living. And he says, listen, son, I'm going to take you with me. I want you to be part of the business. But I'll tell you what, he's integrating his son into the business. But I'll tell you what, any time that you as a father can work with your son, whether it's as a job or whether it's even just on a project or maybe it's just even going on vacation, whatever it might be, let me tell you something. There's real joy in a relationship that continues after they even possibly leave the house. Well, you need to work at that. You need to work at it. Boy, here we have this father here. We've got John. We've got his brother James. We have Zebedee, their father. They're mending their nets. And he called them. The Lord Jesus calls them now. He says, guess what, fellas? You've been fishermen for a number of years. You've been following in your father's footsteps. You've been choosing to go out and catch some fish and make a living. But it's time now for you to follow me. And he says they immediately left the ship of their father and followed him. Now let me tell you something. It's not easy to follow the Lord when you think your life is already pre-planned. 
I mean, these men probably have figured, hey, listen, this is what it is, and this is how it's going to go, and daddy was a fisherman, and I'm a fisherman, and, and my son will be a fisherman, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the scene and says, hey, fellas, come on now, follow me. It's time to leave daddy. It's time to leave the nets. It's time to leave the business. It's time to follow me. Well, what do you got to offer me, Jesus? They didn't ask that question. I mean, what about our 401k plan? What about our retirement? What about this and what about that? They didn't ask that. They just followed. And John, in this case, he got called of God and he followed the Lord. From that time on, John was with the Lord. He left his job. He left his family and he took to the road. And we see John throughout the book of John. We see him throughout the Gospels. What an amazing man of God he is. What an amazing character he is. We find him at the feeding of the 5,000. Look, if you would, in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 11. So it starts off there at the sea, and there Jesus calls him and his brother, and John finds his way into the ministry, and now he's with the Lord Jesus Christ. But he follows the Lord, and as a result of following, he experiences some tremendous things. The feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6, verse 11. The Bible says, and Jesus took the loaves. The people had followed him out into the wilderness. The people were now weary. They were faint, and they, he was concerned that if he sent them back for food, they'd faint in the wilderness. And Jesus said, listen, how much money do you got, disciples? We don't have enough. How much food do we have? And Philip says, well, there's a little lad over here. He's got five loaves and two fishes. That's it. He says, well, that's plenty for me. I'm the creator. Jesus took the loaves, verse 11, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the, when he had given thanks. Well, tell you what, I guess that the, someone says, well, why should you pray before you eat? Because Jesus did. That's a good reason, isn't it? I don't think it's necessary. But that's all right. Jesus did. I think we'll just do it the way Jesus did, seeing that he's pretty much our example, isn't he? At least that's what the Bible tells us. I mean, good enough for Jesus should work for us, huh? Well, you know, when we're out at a restaurant, sometimes we feel a little uncomfortable with family and friends that aren't really Christians. That's the best time to pray. Show them that what you've got is real, that you're not ashamed of him. Notice what he says here. He goes on to say here, he says, uh, so he gave thanks and he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, when they were filled, isn't that wonderful? Listen, I was on vacation for a while. Let me tell you something. I was doing good the first week, but then when my son and my daughter and da- son-in-law came down and let me tell you something, that's when things fell apart. <laughs> you say, I thought that was supposed to be a blessing. Well, it is in one sense and it isn't in any other sense. Because honestly, and I'm not joking, I believe I gained eight pounds in that last week. My wife put a suit out for me this morning and I went to put it on. I went, oh no. And it went like this. I mean, it just would not close. I jumped on the scale real quick because I had this, this sneaking suspicion that something happened. And I'd put on eight pounds, nine pounds. That first week, that wasn't the case. My son said to me, he said, before he came down, he said, well, I'm going to have to get down there and corrupt dad for a minute. He needs a little bit of negative influence. I'm going to have to help him out some. Boy, did he help me. 
They were, they, they, they were filled, the Bible says. Let me tell you, I was filled a number of times on vacation, and I'll tell you what, they were filled that day. They weren't walking away hungry. They were filled. And he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Well, there's a message in that, isn't there? Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, boy, big question, you know, where'd the 12 baskets go, right? Eh, we won't talk about it. You think about it and pray about it. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet, excuse me, this is of a truth, that, that, that prophet that should come into the world. This is a truth, that prophet should come into the world. That prophet is Jesus, they came to the conclusion. Jesus is the one that was promised. Jesus is the prophet that should come. Jesus is the one that followed in the footsteps of the great prophet Moses back there in Genesis 18. Then they came to this conclusion, and John was there that day. He saw it all. He experienced it firsthand. Not only was he there at the feeding of the 5,000, but John was at the raising of Lazarus. If you would take the time and don't do so, but you could turn to the book of John chapter 11. And we could read there in John chapter 11 of how they sent some, uh, sent some uh, 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 servant along and said, Hey, by the way, your, your, your good friend Lazarus, he's sick. He's very sick. And Jesus said, All right. And for two days he waited. For two days he stayed where he was. And finally he made his way there to Bethany. And when he arrives, Mary comes running to him and says, Oh, if only thou had been here. If only thou had been here. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Oh, I know he'll live in the end. I know in the end he'll resurrect. I got it. Jesus said, you don't got nothing. You haven't figured it out, have you? Boy, Mary comes and says the same thing. Jesus goes out there to that sepulcher. He sees people weeping. He sees people burdened down. He sees the tears and his heart breaks. And ultimately... The Bible says, and when he had thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, loosen and let him go. Man, I mean that which was dead is now alive. Lazarus raised from the dead. Can you imagine that? I still remember one of them saying, hey, by this time he stinketh. Many wives could say that about their husbands this morning. I hope not, but it could be the case. Surely we hope it's not the wife. But anyway, the fact is, is that today we've got to understand that he was as dead as dead could be. This wasn't some kind of canatonic state. This was a dead man and Jesus cried out, Lazarus! Come forth! And he did come forth. And John was there to see it. You imagine being there that day? So I'm really wondering whether Jesus is really who he claims to be. And then he raises that sky from the dead. Boy, the Pharisees had a real problem with that too, by the way. They tried to kill old Lazarus. Why? Because he was a testimony of God's power. Jesus' power and reality. feeding of the 5,000, he was there. At the raising of Lazarus, he was there. Do you know at the Mount of Transfiguration, John was there. Again, if we go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 1 and 2, the Bible says, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, 
and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was as white as light. Man, Jesus was revealed as the God who he was. He was revealed as that millennial Christ that would rule and reign. The glorified body of Jesus Christ revealed to these three men. They recognized him as Jesus, but they also saw him as the Christ. John was there that day. John saw it firsthand. We see him at the Last Supper as well. John's at the Last Supper. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. It's interesting how John does not refer to himself as John. It's the disciple whom Jesus loved. He looks at himself, he says, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. And he talks about himself in that sense. Again, he says, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Boy, John knew he was loved. Do you know you're loved? Do you feel loved? Well, that's important, isn't it? It's one thing to know I'm loved. It's another thing to feel loved. We see John here at the table now, that last supper, and there he sits on uh, Jesus' breast, holding his head to the heart of Christ. He hears the heartbeat of God. It's amazing, isn't it? We know that one of the disciples would betray Christ now. So John would be only one of 11 now. But he was there at the feeding of the 5,000, at the raising of Lazarus, at the Mount of Transfiguration, at the Last Supper. He was there. You know, at the mock trial, John was there. You remember how they came out into the garden and they captured the Lord Jesus Christ? He didn't put up a fight, of course. They didn't have to take him by force at all. Matter of fact, when Peter cut off the ear of Malchus, they said, well, put the sword away. It's not time for sword play. You have plenty of time to wield a sword, but it won't be that kind. But put it away. Because, see, there was a purpose that Jesus had, and that purpose included a cross, and that purpose included dying and shedding his precious blood. And so there at the mock trial, we see John again. In chapter 18 of the book of John, turn over there, would you please? Chapter 18. John chapter 18, verse 12. Beginning in verse 12, we begin reading, Then the band and the captain. We're not talking about a band like with banjos and guitars. A band of soldiers. Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now, Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the, to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. See, John's not referring to himself again. Isn't that interesting? That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. So there at that mock trial that day, there Jesus Christ is being placed before these authorities, and he's being unjustly accused. John is there. Peter is there. There were 12, there's then 11, and now there's only two there with Jesus. 
Then we see at the cross an interesting picture, don't we? Look, if you would, just another chapter over in chapter 19, verse 25. Notice what we note here in John chapter 19, verse 25. Here we are now at the cross. There stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple standing by, who do you think the disciple is? John, of course. Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own house. That disciple, of course, is John. Once again, he's unwilling to name himself, but there it is, John. He's at the cross now. John is at the cross. There's Jesus dying for the sin of the world. And he says, guess what? Behold thy mother. She's your in your charge. Now, obviously, his daddy wasn't around anymore. Obviously, Joseph was unable. And I say daddy. I'm talking about his earthly daddy. I'd be careful because some theologian out in the audience would really nail me later. But we see his earthly father, Joseph, obviously wasn't there because it would have been Joseph's responsibility to take care of Mary. I'm really kind of amazed. I've got to believe somehow that the brothers or the sisters had something to do with it too. But there was something going on here. John is being entrusted with Jesus' mother. Obviously, there's something going on that we're not all aware of here. But what an amazing thing. Can you imagine being the one who was called upon to care for the mother of Jesus? To be trusted like that? I mean, here is John. He was a mere fisherman. He's out casting his hook. He's trying to reach out or casting the nets, trying to gather a group of fish so that he can feed his family and feed others. And yet Jesus says, no, it's time for you to be a fisher of men. And Jesus, he follows the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's at the feeding of the 5,000, the raising of Lazarus, the Mount of Transfiguration, at the Last Supper. It goes from 11 there down to the mock trial where there's only two. And then finally at the cross, only one is now remaining. It's John. We go back to our text, John chapter 20, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, under the sepulcher. And see if the stone taken away from the sepulcher. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early. I contend with you that something is missing. And that something is John. Where's John? Where is John? Where's John? He's missing. Why isn't he here? He's been here for everything else. He's nowhere near the tomb that resurrection morning. I mean, he, he, he was there with Jesus at the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, he was there at the raising of Lazarus, the Mount of Transfiguration. He's there at the Last Supper. He's at the mock trial. He's even there at the cross when all the others had abandoned Jesus. There was John. He was in his place. Where is John? He's missing. 
I mean, Jesus had instructed his beloved disciples concerning this coming event. He had instructed them. He had informed them about it. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, turn there, would you please? Mark chapter 8, verse 31. It's not like this took them by surprise. It's not like they were uninformed. They knew. They were told. They were taught. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. The Bible says, and he began to teach them. What are you teaching them? Well, he tells us that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. I mean, Jesus looked them square in the eye. Jesus said to them right to their faces. He says, I want you to know that the Son of Man, me, you know me, will suffer many things. And I want you to know I will be rejected. I want you to know by the chief priests and the elders, I'll be rejected by the scribes. I will be killed. But after three days, three nights, buddy, I want you to know something. (laughs) I'm rising again. I'm coming up out of that grave. He told him. Still, John was not to be found. Okay. Had he forgotten the teaching of Jesus, maybe? Maybe he forgot. I know he heard it, and Jesus said it to him point blank. And I know it wasn't that awfully early on. That, I mean, it wasn't like it years and years and years. It was just a matter of months, probably. He had heard this story over and over again. Had he forgotten the teaching of Jesus? Had he fallen asleep late Saturday night... He was playing video games like all immature adult men do all night long. I'm sorry, but I can't stand it. I, I can take a sword. And... <laughs> I'm about sick up to hear of wives that are crying and whining and, and upset. And I say whining, but they have a reason to whine about that one. Because you can't go to bed at a decent hour and get up. How dare some of you miss church over a stupid video game? I stayed up all night. I was really tired, Pastor. I couldn't get to church. It was really tough. Stayed up till four in the morning with my buddies. Yeah, well, I bet your wife's really proud of you. Wonder what level you're on because, boy, that would be impressive to know. You say, I don't appreciate that. I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm not happy about it. I tell you what, when your wife would stop, your wife would be so much happier if you would just get off your stupid little games and you'd act like a man. Now, I'm not opposed to video games from time to time, but I'm telling you what, when you stop eating because of them and you stay up all night because of them and you miss church because of them and you may not even go to work one day and call off because you just got way too busy that weekend with your video game, you got problems. And you don't need to go see a psychiatrist or psychologist. You need to get at the foot of the cross and beg God for forgiveness and repent of that sin and get right with him. And become a father like you ought to be and a, a provider like you ought to be and a daddy like you ought to be. Thank you, preacher. We love you. I don't think he was up playing video games because I don't think they had him. But I'll tell you one thing. I wouldn't put it past him because he's flesh just like I am and just like you are. Maybe he fell asleep late Saturday night and missed it due to exhaustion. But had he gotten caught up in something else that required his time? I mean, was he just too busy to show up that morning? I mean, 
Maybe he began to doubt that Christ would rise again in the midst of the present gloom and despair that he was experiencing. Oh, Jesus isn't coming back. Ah, it's so bad. It's so sad. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe he just could not envision Christ resurrecting as he promised he would. We don't really know why he wasn't there. We don't know why. We don't know. All we know is that he missed it. He missed it. He was there for everything else, but he missed it. I mean, how many have camped out all night, all night long for a Black Friday sale? Or camped out for the newest iPhone or the latest game system? How many people have camped out all night long in order to be there first in line? You would have thought that John would have been camped out, right? I mean, you'd have thought that he'd have brought a blanket, and you'd have thought that he'd have built a fire. You'd have thought that he'd have went there and said, fellas, don't mind me. I know you're supposed to be watching the tomb, but listen, let's face it. You know Jesus ain't resurrected, so I certainly don't provide any trouble for you. I'm just one man anyway. It won't be a big deal. Can I start a little fire over here in the corner? I just want to sit around and think about the days and reminisce about Jesus. And you know what? When he does rise, I just want to be here to see it. You would have thought that he would have done that. Wouldn't you think that? But he wasn't there. He was missing. Even as Jesus foretold, Jesus foretold this monumental event. And yet John was missing. And by the way, here's, here's the thing now. What does that mean to you and I? Do you know that Jesus foretold another monumental event? Do you you know that, that it's not just the disciples who were told about his resurrection, but his disciples today are being, being taught and, and, and being informed and told about a very monumental occasion, a very monumental event that's going to take place in the near future. Do you know what that is? The return of Jesus Christ. You say, where's John at? That old loser. That lame duck, that lazy bum, he should have been at the tomb that day. He should have. But I wonder, where will you and I be when Jesus returns? Just wonder. And he said he's going to return just as much as he told them he was going to resurrect the third day. Just as, as, as authoritatively as he spoke it and as he shared it with them, he speaks it and shares it with us through his blessed book, the Word of God. He says in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled, fellows. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, and I'm going to, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Jesus is so clearly sharing with us that he's coming back. It's not some mystery, and he's not trying to hide it. He's not trying to cloak it in some mystic version or some kind of crazy speech. No, he's simply saying it, placing it there, putting it right there on plain sight. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. I don't want you to be uninformed. Ignorance isn't stupidity. There's a difference. Ignorance is not knowing something. Just not knowing. You can be extremely smart and be ignorant. 
And in this case, he says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. He's not talking about people that are actually laid down going to bed. He's talking about people that are dead physically, but really spiritually are simply asleep because they're still alive. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. It's talking about go before them. And I don't have time to, dis- to define that completely, but those, those that are in the grave will go first, then we'll be following. And he says, for the Lord himself, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall it ever be. Shall we ever be with the Lord? You know what? The Lord's always kept his promises. He kept them in the Old Testament. He kept them in the New, in the, in the Gospels. He kept them now for this day. Jesus always keeps his word. God is always on time. And yet there will always be those scoffers, won't there? In the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of. It's interesting, you can be willingly ignorant too. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world was that was then being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. That, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that, the day is, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He said he's coming back. And sure, there are going to be those that will question it. Sure, there's going to be those that will willingly say, forget that. I can't believe that. I won't even consider it. I won't even, even give it any thought or any time. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. It merits no, no, no intellect at all on my part. I will not waste my time listening to about some God in heaven that created all things, came to earth, died on the cross, was buried and rose again the third day, supposedly, that he's actually coming back. I, that's a waste of my time. That flood, a joke. Jonah, a joke. All of it, ridiculous. Okay, we, I guess we understand the world's position. And to some degree it makes sense. But where was John? He knew who Jesus was, didn't he? And when Jesus returns, and he will return, where will you be? Where will I be? We're, we're told, we're, we're admonished in, chapter, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Look, if you would, there as we close this down. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. If you hear something grumbling in the auditorium, it's my stomach. 
Remember, I have eight pounds to lose now. So I did not eat breakfast today. A self-imposed fast this morning. I'd like to consider myself very spiritual with that fast, but it really has nothing to do with spiritual. It's all about trying to get rid of this. Notice I wore my double-breasted suit today, which carefully covers all of the exposed guttage. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Notice we're to be watching and waiting. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Notice now, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Boy, that's what you and I ought to be doing then. Jesus promised he's coming back. And he says, what should, I, what should you do? Let me tell you. You ought to be looking for that blessed hope. You ought to be looking for the glorious appearing of your great God and Savior Jesus Christ. You ought to have your eyes to the sky. You ought to be focusing on the future. You ought to not get tied up in this present world. You better not get too rooted in the things of this world. You better make sure you're looking for the future and looking for the God of heaven and saying, I know you promised to come back. I'm going to live my life. You'll, you'll be back today. I want to be at the sepulcher, if you will, when he raises from the dead. I want to be there when the cloud splits. I want to see him face to face. I want to know and not be caught off guard, bound by this world and so caught up in everything else that I miss it. Say, well, I'm saved, so I'm going anyway. I know, but how how bad would it be to get there and have to admit that you weren't looking? It says in the book of Luke 18, 8, it says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Will he find you faithful? And we talk about everyone else and everything else. What about you? What about me? See, I can't control these three young men on the front row, but I can control me. I don't know if they'll have faith when he returns. I don't know if they'll be looking when he comes back. But I can control whether I am. Or will we be like John, nowhere to be found? Being preoccupied with the cares and concerns of this world, being mesmerized with its glitter and gold, being desensitized to the needs of others and the burdens that they bear. I mean, will we become immune to the prompting of the Holy Ghost? Will we become indifferent to the precepts of the Word of God? Will we become insensitive to the pursuit of our Holy God? Will we find ourselves not where we belong, not doing what we're supposed to do when He returns? See, what was missing from this picture? The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. I'll tell you what was missing. It was John. Again, John, who was at the feeding of the 5,000, John, who was at the raising of Lazarus. John, who was at the Mount of Transfiguration. John, who was at the Last Supper, at the mock trial, and even the cross. John was missing. I wonder today, if Jesus Christ came back today for his bride, his church, I wonder if there there are those in this crowd today that have never met the Lord Jesus, do not know him as their personal Lord and Savior. 
never come to the place where they recognized that he did die for them, that he was buried and that he did rise again, that didn't acknowledge him as Savior and Lord of their life, that didn't receive him and accept him into their life. And he's going to return. He's going to take out his bride. He's going to return. He's going to remove the church. And the church is comprised of every believer in Jesus Christ has trusted him by grace through faith. Will you be left behind? Because you're not looking. You're not prepared. You're not ready. He's coming back. The church will be taken out, caught out, caught up. And then what's called the tribulation will kick in. A horrible time on earth, a judging time. My friend, you don't want to be here for that day. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Recognize Him as the only way, the truth, and the life. And be prepared and ready when He comes. And if you're a child of God today, the Bible says, and now little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. John was nowhere to be found that morning, even though he had been instructed, informed. Where will you be when he comes back? Will you still be faithful to God? Faithful to God? to the work of God, faithful to the house of God. A faithful steward of the things of God. Will you have your eye on the sky? Will you be watching and waiting? I trust and hope that we all will be. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for your love and we thank you, Father, for your life and for just everything that you mean to us and all that you do for us. Bless us now in these next few moments, Lord. There may be those in our midst that are without Jesus Christ that haven't yet to receive and accept him as Lord and Savior. Oh, his sacrifice is sufficient. His blood is efficable. Lord, everything that he did for us is, is enough. And Lord, it is all that we can depend on. He alone is the solution. He alone is the answer to our every problem, but especially our soul problem. Father, there may be those that are without Christ that have never been saved, forgiven, washed of their sin, and they need Jesus Christ in their life as Lord. May they come and receive and accept him today before it's eternally too late. And Lord, for the believer, may we not be ashamed at your coming. Lord, may we be prepared. May we be in our place. May we not be missing when you return and the trumpet sounds. We'll thank you. We'll praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand.